0: I've got our great friend, Mr. Al Bat joining us now from somewhere near Heartland. Are you covered in snow like we are here in Mankato, Al?
1: I, I guess. I I measured a few different places, and I'm going to go with nine inches of snow is what we got here. And I know, boy, like like Crystal got 15 and a half. And so, but nine was uh, an ample sufficiency, and it's February. Do you say February or February? February. I think either way is right. Yeah, I, think I,
0: I usually I, pronounce I, I, things how you spell them because that helps me. Like when when you say unique, I usually say in my head unique Q, so I know how to spell it. That's how I learned to spell <laughs> spell things. So I would say February in my head at least.
1: It, it, this month, anyway, we get dry snow for the most part. The we nice don't fluffy, get snow, yeah. Yeah, and now that I say that, the next snow will just be dripping wet, but for the for the most part in February, we get kind of dry snow, which is, um, oh, you know, as it's, the it, it's snow blower blew it around, it was kind of pretty in mm-hmm. a way, um, and, and I managed to not be totally covered in that snow. Uh, so that was, I remember the first time Oh, I had a walk behind snowblower, and I'd go down to the end of the drive, and no matter which way I would turn, it seemed like I would always get covered in snow for a little bit with that snowblower. The wind would just, it was like smoke around a fire. It will follow you, and no matter where you sit, it seems to find you, and that's kind of the way that snow was. Um, you sent me something from Frank. I well, did, from, uh, last week. He got, yep and he said supposedly there was a yellow cardinal spotted not too long ago in Florida and they had a picture uh... al you think it's legit you know there was an exceptionally rare yellow northern cardinal with a genetic color mutation spotted and photographed in port st Lucie in october and then in palm city florida they saw two of them uh... the one i want to say it was this maybe last month or maybe even this month in palm city florida so they had three of them down there in a short period of time and what it is it's an adult male northern cardinal has this uh, genetic mutation Hmm. and a mutation found in this species blocks the normal red pigment and replaces it with this vibrant yellow color so if you can picture a A male cardinal, that beautiful red, just put yellow where the red is. So he still has the black. And they say only three yellow cardinal sightings are reported a year. Well, Florida has three of them in just a real short time. I remember uh, two years ago, 2018, there was all kinds of press about a yellow cardinal that was spotted in Alabama at that time. So it's a pretty cool thing to see. I was um, outside here, of course, and it was calm and quiet. Uh, There was no eerie groaning caused by the rubbing of one tree or branch against another in winter's bluster. There was no wind. I might have been able to hear a squirrel breathing had I listened hard enough. Squirrels carried on their ancient business. I tossed them a a couple of ears of corn. And I'm not prone to criticizing. I'm more into (laughs) critter-sizing. I have three species of tree squirrels in the yard, red, fox, and gray. And the red is the smallest, and the fox is the largest. And as you may have already deduced, a gray squirrel is a middleweight entry of the three. While the quiet was disrupted by the sound of a murder of crows feeding on a raccoon carcass, and it wasn't death most foul; it it was death by Kia, hit by a car. Ooh. Folk tales say that crows gather to decide the capital fate of another crow. They judge the crow, and it might put him to death if he was a bad crow. But I, it's not true. Crows are scavengers, but the term "murder of crows" reflects a time when collective nouns of animals had colorful or poetic names and that's how it ended up with the murder of crows and now there's books and movies and um, I have no doubt there's some uh, bands named that so it's become quite popular uh, tattoo I saw a tattoo a woman showed me and it said murder and had a couple crows on it hmm. so it was uh, I don't know if I'd want that tattoo but it looked <laughs> good on her so um, a deer or white-footed mouse ran across the snow and I'm surprised it wasn't in someone's house.
0: Wait a deer presence, or a, white, a deer or a white-footed mouse you can't tell the difference
1: Well, it's a deer mouse or a white-footed oh, mouse Oh thank yeah, you two species of
0: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. I was picturing I, I yeah. was going to say the deer make a quite a bigger hole, I think
1: <laughs> gotcha. yeah, and I can still barely tell the difference between those two, but I am capable of that yet but Good. Uh, these mice become squatters to find shelters from the elements and that's, and they also find food. So I shoveled snow, and I considered how parts of Minnesota are blessed or cursed, depending on your view, viewpoint, by more or less snow. And I um, I went online, because oh, everything is there online, and according to current results, which uses weather data collected by the NOAA, National Climatic Data Center, Albert Lee receives 37.8 inches of snow each year, Mankato, 38.6. It seems like more. Uh, Brainerd, 46.8. Rochester, 51.9. Minneapolis, 54. International Falls, 71. And Duluth, 86.1 inches of annual snowfall.
0: Well, you know, I have some people, I I know some folks uh, uh, that I'm friends with that live up in upper Michigan, and so far this year they've had 208 inches so far this year. So, I mean, that's a lot of snow, and they show pictures, and I mean, it's just like they live under this giant blanket all year long. And you know what, I'm kind of glad I don't have quite that much.
1: And... A lot of folks have probably been to Valdez, Alaska. There's a place called Thompson Pass, and I know a couple years ago it had 800 inches of snow. And uh, there's a road through there. And the first time, years and years ago, I saw these poles going straight up from the side of the road, and then they bent over the road. And uh, I was wondering what in the world those things were. And then it occurred to me those were... For the snowplows, so Mm -hmm. they didn't go off the road. They could see where that was. And now I'm sure they have GPS systems that mark the edges of roads, but it's, uh, yeah, I can't imagine that. Uh, Gail and I were. In Alaska, doing some work, and the Haynes had 32 feet of snow one year. So, which is, uh, you know, no matter how much you love snow, I think that it's too much. It's just too much. (laughs) It just snowed all the time, and your life becomes uh, moving snow, just dealing with snow. You pull it off the roof and move it out into the street. And I came indoors after shoveling snow, and I was searching for something. I'm not sure what it was, but I came across some seed packets and I looked at the date and, you know, everybody does this, I think. If you're a gardener, you come across these things and you say, I wonder if these are still viable. And seed viability varies, I know, depending on the plant and how they were stored. We're supposed to store them in well-sealed, watertight containers in cool, like, 50-degree dark locations. But we could, and I know you master gardeners, Karen, you do. You conduct, a lot of you do anyway, ragdoll tests. We call them a ragdoll. You roll a moistened paper towel into a tube. First you put the seeds on it, and then you roll it into a tube. And you place it in a plastic bag and you store it in a warm place for several days and then you unroll it and you assess the number of seeds germinating over the next few days and if the rate is less than seventy five percent you know you might as well throw those seeds away you're better off buying new ones and if the rate was between seventy five to ninety percent you can sure use them but maybe plant more seeds per planting
0: I've never done yeah, the ragdoll no. method, Al. That's new to me. I just basically take a couple paper towels and I, I mark off segments and then I, I keep it moist and in a dark place and then I watch it. So I, that's kind of a neat idea, put it in the, the ragdoll method. That's I just do two paper yeah. towels and keep them damp method. So, cool.
1: That's good. Yeah, and you know, we're just, it's hard to throw seeds away. Oh, don't you don't know want to waste your money, you.
0: right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, you look at them and you think, man... I bet those would still grow. We always have some radishes left, you know, and you think, oh, man, we should, should see if those things are still good because radishes are so good. My wife, and I like them too, but my wife dearly loves radish sandwiches. Uh, Doug Harr said the neighborhood's juvenile Cooper's Hawk just landed on our basement window well edge looking into our TV family room at one of our cat's. We keep our two cats indoors 100% of the time for protecting birds, but it also protects our cats. Mm-hmm. I walked up slowly to the window and stood within 3 feet of the hawk before she decided I was too large to eat. <laughs> Roger Schmidt has a uh, picture of a of a very thrush. It's just a, a beautiful bird and uh, every winter we seem to see some. Got a uh nice communication from the Raptor Center. I I volunteered there for many years. My wife and I would haul injured birds up there. And they say each year we see around 1,000 raptors in their rehabilitation clinic. An adult bald eagle was a returning patient to our clinic. She first came to us in 2014 with both a wing and leg fracture which we corrected before release. Nearly five years later, in January of 2019, she returned after a territorial fight ended badly. We passed her up and had her flying free once more. I hope she learned her lesson about those fights. Uh, This year we saw a surprising number of nestling red-tailed hawks keeping us extremely busy in our clinic. Long-eared, there was a long-eared owl with a fractured collarbone. We only see a small handful of osprey each year, so each one is a memorable experience. A young osprey came to us with pretty severe internal trauma after mm-hmm. striking an object. The trauma was so severe when it first came to us, we thought it might not be able to stand again due to spinal damage. Thankfully, after a full checkup and lots of rest fluids and the needed medication, this osprey made a full recovery and returned to the wild in August. 2019 was a very busy year for bald eagles, stretching our capacity with the highest number of eagles in our care ever at one time. Spring storms delivered to us an influx of very young great horned owls in November. An adult barred owl went looking for a cavity to nest in and got stuck in a homeowner's chimney. Yeah, that wouldn't be good. Uh, Carl Kurz. Uh, Carl Kurtz said he saw a northern harrier. It was striking compared to any sighting I've ever seen in the past. The bird was white as snow with wingtips that were as black as coal, and it was flying well above the ground against the sky. I was not immediately sure what I was seeing as it was such an unusual situation. Tim Scott sent me a thing from National Geographic and uh, I'm going to quote the little uh, couple of lines here from National Geographic. It said, Exxon killed 250,000 seabirds in its 1989 oil spill off Alaska it paid 112 million dollars for the wildlife and environmental damage BP killed a million birds in its Gulf of Mexico disaster it paid 100 million also in part a 1918 treaty to protect migratory birds last week the US government said it would make an official a policy of no longer prosecuting companies that accidentally kill birds what does that mean in most cases, especially if there's money involved, people are going to ignore the birds, said Noah Greenwald of the Nonprofit Center for Biological Diversity. Yeah, sad but true. Uh, Scott Mayhus, a friend who uh, is a, uh, a person of import in, uh, at the National Eagle Center, and he does a citizen science to count golden eagles each year, and they also count bald eagles while they're at it. And they cover, uh, they have 71 survey routes. They get like 190 people. They, it covers three states, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Iowa, 40 counties in those three states. This year, he had 119 Golden Eagles total. Last year, there was 145 but the year before in 2016 or 2018 there was 62 is all the highest they've ever counted was 149 in 2016 they saw 1403 bald eagles uh 200 no, 1,888 in 2015 was the most bald eagles they'd ever seen. So they were right up there again, 1,403 bald eagles, 119 golden eagles. Um, boy, if you love the birds, you can make it count. Participate in the Great Backyard Bird Count. as February 14th through the 17th. You spend a few minutes over the weekend. It's, it's something that's fun and helps the birds. It's a great backyard bird count will link ordinary folks with scientists in an effort to collect important data about backyard birds. You can spend a period of 15 minutes, if that's all you want to do, counting the birds you see anytime, February 14th through the 17th. You can count from home, work, school, anywhere. Just make a note of the birds you see and report your findings at. It's a great backyard bird count. So it's dot org but if you know if you do a search for great backyard bird counts you're going to find it so that's what they do And yeah.
0: you've been doing the bird counts have you noticed any change in the the, the kinds of bird you see i know because we're having you as our keynote speaker or one of our keynote speakers coming up for the master gardeners education day and part of it's on climate change and how it's changing animals and birds bugs bees etc in the area so i'm just curious and you've done many bird counts have you noticed any changes over the years because of climate change
1: Oh yeah, it um, certainly uh, things come and go at different times. Uh, we used to see evening grosbeaks that would come down here a lot. We don't see them at all. Um, it seems like some of the birds will go further north now than they ever have before. We just see a, a lot more. Oh, we're seeing Carolina wrens and uh, northern mockingbirds and these kind of things that we didn't used to see. I believe there are more morning doves uh, spending the winters here with us than ever before. So there's certainly a lot of changes. And it can create some problems because uh, food sources might not always be there as they should be. Uh, So birds might arrive at the wrong time. They've always done that, but it might be more so than it used to be. So, yeah, definitely seeing changes, and uh, we'll see some more when everybody reports these uh, great backyard bird count. And what do scientists do with this? They use the information to better understand important trends in bird population range expansions. And we're seeing a lot of range expansions, habitat changes, and shifts in migration patterns. And through the years, I've seen a a great deal of numbers, especially in some waterfowl, geese and things. uh, Their migratory patterns have changed dramatically.
0: Well, I want to use this as a chance to do a little plug for, if people want to hear Albat talking more about that. We're doing the 8th Annual Spring Alive coming up on Saturday, April 25th. So it's a ways away, but it's a... It's a morning event at Christ the King Lutheran Church. just happens to be the place where we're holding it in Mankato. And it's going to feature you and Mark Seely, who is also a climatologist. And he's going to be talking about climate change and how it's affecting our, our growing and uh, things that we're doing with our gardens and yards, et cetera. And then you're going to talk about how it's affecting our birds, bees, bugs, animals, et cetera. So that is coming up April 25th. If you want more information, you can go to the... Uh, Master Gardener, Minnesota Valley Master Gardeners site on the Facebook. Just FYI, my my shameless plug there. Okay, that's all.
1: (laughs) That's cool, and I'm looking forward to being there. It'll be great because I'll be able to blather, and then uh, Mark will be able to say, I don't believe that's quite right. So (laughs) it'll work out pretty well there. Uh, Rodney Hatley. Rodney lives in Oatana. Uh, Rodney says, I and Blue Jays go way back. Three or four of us elementary school kids found a dead one at New Richland Central Park. The girls planned a funeral and said it was standard to bury a body at least one day after death. So the next day, at an agreed-to time, we reassembled in a location just below the railroad track elevation, dug a hole, one of the girls said a few words, and a Jay was buried with just that bit of pomp. I know exactly where that was. Yeah, I think every boy. I remember a lot of funerals like that, Rodney. So, uh, Andrew Nihos, Nihis, Nihus. I'm going to go with Nihus of Sibley County. So, I saw a yellow rump warbler in Sibley County, and a northern shoveler, lesser buffalo bufflehead, hooded merganser, and American coot in Scott County. Um, good buddy Ronald Erpelding in Renville County, he saw an eastern screech owl, which would be rare there right now, I'm guessing, and a hermit thrush. And Brad Abendroth saw an American black duck, a ring duck, and a sharp-shinned hawk in Scott County. And Bob Williams saw a ruddy duck in Scott County. And last week I talked about a uh, squirrel finding a a nice ear of corn with most of the kernels still on there and walking along and falling through the snow with added weight. And a listener said, how many kernels are on an ear of corn? And, uh, yeah, great question. The number of kernels, we're talking field corn here, it can vary from 500 to 1,200. So a typical ear probably has 800 kernels. And much of the field corn plants are bred to develop just one large ear. And why? Well, this approach usually yields better production. And a bushel of shelled corn weighs 56 pounds. I'm not sure why I threw that in, but it was one of the few things I know, so I had to throw it in there. Uh, This time of year, boy, keep an eye and an ear out for starling bills. I, I just was watching a starling here a few minutes ago. His bill is turning yellow. So starling bills are dark in winter, but they begin to turn yellow as the breeding season approaches. And they are changing now. House finches, they're singing their exuberant, tumbling song. It's just great to hear them. And cardinals, whether they're red or yellow, are whistling what cheer In honor of a town in Iowa, I believe. What's your Iowa? Uh, Wild turkeys are gobbling. And, uh, boy, if you spend any time around turkeys, you know pretty much anything can set them off. Uh, Coyotes howling, uh, thunder, uh, not thunder this time of year, but later when we get thunder, that'll set them off gobbling. And red-tailed hawks. Uh, Tim Scott told me he saw a couple of red-tailed hawks flying together in the air close to one another. And red-tailed hawks, you'll see them now coming up. You'll see them where they're perched close to one another. And they look very white, typically, from the front. They come in so many different colors. You can't see any. You can't say all of them look this way ever about red-tailed hawks. But most of them look very white from the front. And you will see them perching close to one another. And this is a sign of Valentine's Day. It's just that time of year where they um, they find a sweetie and they just hang out together. And it's, it's pretty cool to see them. They are beautiful birds. When I was a kid, we always said every red-tailed hawk had a belly band, a little kind of dark band, but that's probably not always true either. It was definitely not always true, but again, most of them will look real white, and if you're driving down the road and you see one perched in a tree, a hawk, there's uh, a pretty good shot. It's a red-tailed hawk, because they are our most common hawk, and they are uh, beautiful, beautiful birds. And when I was a kid, they always called them chicken hawks, but uh, there was a cooper's hawk that seemed to swipe most of our chickens. This, somebody asked, why do dogs turn in circles before lying down? Anybody has a dog and <laughs> has knows that. They'll get on the sofa of the bed and they'll just go and you say, why are you doing that? And they just give you that look like, well, duh. Robert Benchley observed, he said, a dog teaches a boy fidelity, perseverance, and to turn around three times before lying down. I have uh, asked people through the years and been at seminars and stuff, and whenever there's a a mammologist or somebody like that or a dog trainer, I always say, why do they do that? I've been told it's an act of self-preservation and that a dog may innately know it needs to position itself to check for threats and to ward off possible attacks and others have told me that wolves sleep with their noses to the wind so they could detect a threatening scent and circle to determine wind direction and still others think circling is done to roust vermin or to discover any stones or prickly vegetation or burrs that might prove uncomfortable but I, I think the theory that is most credible is dogs are creating a nest for themselves by trampling down grass or perceived grass before settling down for a nap. Well, you know, my cats, cats do that.
0: I was going to say cats do that on my lap. Like if I'm sitting on the couch with my legs up on the ottoman, they'll come along and sometimes they'll go around in a circle on my lap until I guess they're. I think they're just looking to see make what's the most comfy or is this too soft or too hard. <laughs> yeah. That's what I think they're doing. I That's my guess.
1: Cats don't do that all of, that much on a bed, though, do they?
0: Um, sometimes they do it. I know mine, if there's like a blanket, it's like they want to make it so it's a little more comfy around them. So I, it just depends on your cat. I guess mine mine do sometimes. So.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if Pearl here does that much at all. She usually oh, she gets on the bed and she's just oh. <laughs> plops. It's a lucky to get to bed. I am so tired. I've been up for three days. That kind of look, and it just goes away, and now she snores a little bit. So that's one of those, one of the joys of life is having a cat that snores. I had uh, <laughs> friends, I used to spend the night at their place on occasion, because uh, their son was one of my best friends, and they had a pug. hmm and it would snore even when it wasn't sleeping. It just snored all the time, and I'd wake up in the middle of the night and thinking, who's running a chainsaw? (laughs) There's a chainsaw. Here's this little dog with a smashed-in face, and it was a sweet dog. I just loved the dog, but oh, it could snore like crazy. So our uh, our cat here does kind of a kind of a sweet little snore. If snoring can be sweet, it's uh, just barely snoring, and that's that's okay with me. It's a great time of year, man. Twenty two below. We oh, we don't really need twenty two below. That's a little overkill. I think it could. Uh, tune that back a little bit as far as the temperature goes. I was uh, looking through some old papers from last year and the year before and saw 22 below there, and I thought, well, at least it's not 22 now, and now it's going to be 22 below again. So it... uh you know everybody be really careful that is you don't want to be out in 22 weather with the car problems or or not dress properly i know uh, last year we had a terrible storm and uh, uh, involved with the salvation army so we had we got the armory going and got food for all these people and the, the people were nice and they were very appreciative but they weren't dressed properly i mean some of them had no coat um, no hats, no gloves. It's just it's just not right to drive around in Minnesota without my dad would always preach to me about having a weather emergency or winter emergency kit in the trunk of your car. So it'd be extra clothes, gloves, matches, uh, chains. Um, Uh, battery jumping table, you you name it, Dad would stuff it in there, and I noticed every year he'd put more junk in there. And flashlights, of course, the batteries went dead in the cold, but uh, it was good of him to to do all that, and I appreciate all that. I should have told him more often how I appreciate it instead of probably rolling my eyes at him. I want to wish that everybody would come to the cafe today. Where the food chain is missing a few lengths as special is always the Heimlich Maneuver and gravy is considered a beverage. And now featuring authentic leftovers with less hair in the food and real cup holders where grease is good and none of the food smells like feet. Well, hardly any. Far from home, I pulled into a convenience store for fuel. The pump had a TV showing the news. I appreciate a break from the world's problems and loud commercials while pumping gas, so I pushed the mute button repeatedly, but the talking heads refused to stifle. I got my fill of the news long before my car's tank was filled with gas. Not much later, I wiped road salt off my bunion Buicks, my shoes. I had the time to do that because my hotel room wasn't ready yet because it wasn't my room yet. If it had been my room, I'd have had it ready for me. The delay caused me to dig out a pen and a receipt. If I don't have a notebook, I write things on newspapers, napkins, bookmarks, receipts, envelopes, and anything else I can scribble upon. I'm a chronic note taker. I write things down. I'm not about to spend my time trying to remember things. I've got better things to do, things like trying to remember what I wrote on and where I put it. I was stuck here in January in the falling snow when I could have been in South Florida dodging falling iguanas on what would have been a shorts and sandals day in Minnesota. Iguanas fell from trees when temperatures dropped into the 30s and 40s. If iguanas were capable of talking, they'd have spoken then once they thawed they would have complained vociferously about the cold. <laughs> Dorothy said, how can you talk if you haven't got a brain? The scarecrow replied, I don't know, but some people without brains do an awful lot of talking, don't they? <laughs> I'm one of those people they were talking about in The Wizard of Oz. I was in a barbershop waiting to be clipped. The guy seated in the chair had a cast on his foot. He'd been pheasant hunting in North Dakota when he stepped into a hole in his Achilles tendon. I wished him a speedy recovery and added that I often saw pheasants carrying shovels. Remember, folks, heartland is well worth driving past. Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Thank you, Karen, as always, for your wonderful company. Always appreciate you.
0: Always glad to have you, Al, and we will chat with you next week. Until then, happy bird watching. Yep, bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Our good friend Al Batt there. It is 1032. Welcome to MN90, Minnesota history in 90 seconds. Are you normal? Is there a tool to test for the well-adjusted average adult? In 1937, two University of Minnesota researchers attempted to create just such a tool, a personality test. But in order to calibrate this tool, they needed an abnormal group and a normal group to compare. The abnormals were...